Luke chapter 10. So it was, it was uh, New Year's weekend. I was in Texas with my family for Christmas, Sherman, Texas, north of Dallas. And I'd been asked to speak at a youth conference. This is a week ago or so. And I'm going to drive over there and thinking, okay, what am I going to preach to these teenagers? I want to do something along the lines of the new year and start of the new year. And I got thinking about a message uh, called Daily Disciplines, the Key to Being a Disciple. And I thought about, okay, so what are the essentials? And I was preaching out of the text that we're to be nourished up in the words of faith and exercise ourselves to godliness. You know, what's typical New Year's resolution involve? Well, diet and exercise, right? Everybody's Planet Fitness, man, memberships go up in January. About mid-January, they drop off. But uh, they're, you know, we're going to get some, we're going to get a new diet, we're going to get an exercise. You know, spiritually, that's really good for your body is you need the diet of the word and exercise your soul. So I'm, I'm going through my mind how I'm going to present this to the teenagers. And one of the phrases that stuck out in my mind as I'm, as I'm prepping is I'd heard, I think when I was a teenager, the statement, nothing that does not occur daily will ever dominate your life. Nothing that does not occur daily will ever dominate your life. Well, that is true. In fact, by way of illustration, think of this. I'm I'm going to name a famous person. I'll only give you uh, the first name. You'll tell me the last name when I tell you what they're known for, okay? The name will be Michael, and I will say a certain something, and you tell me which Michael it is. So if I say um, the name Michael and I say basketball, who am I thinking of? Michael Jordan. If I say Michael and I say swimming, who am I thinking of? Michael Phelps. If I say Michael and I say art or painting, Michelangelo. Okay, yeah. I know. Derivative of Michael. But you know something about each of these guys? Michael Jordan did not become elite at basketball. Michael Phelps did not become elite at swimming by going in the gym or getting in the pool a month before the finals or the Olympics. I mean, this is something they did all the time. Michael Jordan was the first guy in the gym Every day, when he was, even when he was elite as a basketball pro. First guy in the gym, practicing, working. They became adept at what they did because they did it every day. I thought of this. If you lived in a country where it were illegal to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you of your claims? So, oh, I believe the Bible is the word of God. How often do you read it? Have you ever read the whole thing through? So I'm prepping in my mind, okay, what am I going to say to these teenagers? And, and one thing came down. A lot of times, um, the only New Year's resolution we make is this. <laughs> I resolve never again to make another New Year's resolution. <laughs> What's the point? You know, we never keep them. But I want to encourage you with some goals. I know we're now well into the New Year, but let me talk to you about one thing is needful. That's the title today, one thing is needful. thought if I could impress upon you... What's the most important endeavor in your Christian life? If I said, what's the most important element of your Christian life? We might have a healthy debate about that. We might have a healthy discussion about it. If I said, hey, what's, what's essential to Christian living? In fact, okay, let me, let me throw it out to you. What, do you. what do you think is essential to the Christian life? Can you give me some ideas? And there will probably be multiple ideas. What's essential to Christian living? Give me some feedback. Prayer, soul winning, reading the Bible. Devotions, discipleship, fellowship. Okay, so who's going to give a thumbs down to any of those? They're all important, right? Have you ever heard a preacher get up and say, now this is the most important thing? Well, you're about to hear one say that. The most important thing. But it wouldn't mean anything if it were just my opinion. I want to show you what Jesus said. 
Would you stand with me? We're going to read from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. That'll be our text. Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. All of those things are important, and I want you to see they're not mutually exclusive. I think they're all inclusive, but it starts with this premise. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Notice, one thing is needful. Okay, this is not the opinion of the person in the pulpit. The Lord said one thing's needful. So I don't know about you, I want to know what it is. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you for standing with me. We're told by way of background here, verse 38, that he goes to a certain village. Uh, You all know, what was the name of the village where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus resided? Bethany. Uh, Bethany was two miles outside of Jerusalem, up the hill from the Mount of Olives, and in the town of Bethany. We know this about the family. Apparently, we would deduce that they were well-to-do. They seem to have come from a wealthy family. Uh, They hosted Jesus there. What was the home like? We don't know exactly, but, you know, some of the poorer people lived in single-dwelling homes. This home would have been apparently elaborate. In fact, in my mind, I always go back to thinking of um, a scene that I had that I'd seen from the classic Ben-Hur, made the Charlton Heston Ben-Hur. Any of you ever see the three-hour movie of Ben-Hur? Yeah, this is a classic. It was made at the time, the the biggest production Hollywood had ever put on. And y'all probably know the story about Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur was written by Lew Wallace. Lew Wallace was a general during the Civil War. He had been an, uh, an agnostic, did not believe in God, but one day he was on a train trip with Robert Ingersoll, the most renowned agnostic at the time. Robert Ingersoll, all he wanted to do was talk about the Bible and how it couldn't be true. It's amazing how much, how much time people that don't believe in God spend fighting against God. And so all he wanted to do was talk about how there could be no God, and Lou Wallace went back to his quarters in the train, and he began to think, okay, what, what if the Bible's true? And he began to study the Bible, and he became convinced that, indeed, the gospel is true, and Jesus is the Savior, the Son of God, who died and was buried and rose again. And in coming to saving faith, he wrote a novel called Ben-Hur, A Tale of the Christ. And it would have been kind of like, in its day, like uh, Left Behind. And I know, okay, we'll get into the theology of Left Behind. But the whole reason for Left Behind was to make people say, hey, you know, what if the rapture comes in my lifetime, you know? It was a tool to make people think about eternity. And in the scenes of Ben-Hur, they, they go to the home of Judah Ben-Hur. And Judah lives in a home, a well-to-do family, where there is an open court in the middle. There's a fountain. There are mansions, which are the apartments facing that interior. That is likely what the home of Mary and Martha would have been like. We're told that uh, when Lazarus died, we're told that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and their brother. It's interesting, two words used for love. One is the word phileo, or root of our word Philadelphia, brotherly love. The other is the word agapao, which is God's love, God so loved the world. Both words are used of Mary and Martha. So it wasn't just like a ministerial obligation to love this family. He really hit it off well with them. You know, let's, let's face it, there are some people we interact with because, you know, we have obligations to interact with. And some people we just interact with because they cheer for the same team and they don't drive us crazy and we like them a lot. Jesus interacted with Mary and Martha and Lazarus because it was just refreshing. He loved these people. 
So he goes to, and I love the way the scripture says, certain village, certain woman's house. We're doing opening revival here. We're, met, we're gathered collectively, but I want you to know this is not just an assembled mass of people. I want you to listen to the message today as if it were for you individually. So what do we learn from the passage? Well, I want to break it down into three areas if you want to follow along. Number one is Mary's conscientious choice. This will be verse 39. Mary's conscientious choice. So notice the preliminaries having been stated here. He comes to their house. Verse 39 says, She, telling after Martha received him into her house, she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Okay, Mary's conscientious choice. The root word is conscience, which means with thought, okay, having having contemplated, having come to a logical conclusion, Mary's conscientious choice. I want you to see Mary's distinction. Mary's distinction. What what do we know about her? We deduce from Scripture that she was younger. Now, ages are not given in the Bible, but it's very interesting. There's an established pecking order in the Bible. Typically, when you see names given, almost always you'll have them given in order of birth. You know, like the sons of uh, Jacob, they're given in order of birth typically. Um, Mary is always mentioned after Martha, except there's one, I think, exception to that. But it's typically Martha and then Mary. Sometimes it's just Martha and her sister. Okay, so we, we come to a pretty good conclusion that she was most likely the younger sister. We also deduce from Scripture she was quieter. You don't have to do a whole lot of reading to figure out she's quieter. Remember when, when Martha went out to meet Jesus after Lazarus died, and she went out, and she doesn't hold back. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Where's Mary? She's back at the house. Martha has to go get her. Now, she says the same thing. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not die. But you get the idea she's quieter. I've got two sisters. We're a lot like this family. I'm the oldest of three, and my sister Lauren and my sister Jen, we're all about two years apart. And uh, my sister Lauren, she's the kind my dad says she can talk to a person for five minutes and tell you about it for 25 minutes. I mean, that's her personality. (laughs) My dad used to say she can make a day at the office sound exciting, you know, and so this kind of personality. My sister Jen, she was the nursing major in college, got a 4.0 in nursing, but she was definitely the more calculated, the more, you know, the thoughtful one, right? And um, one's a pastor's wife, one's a missionary, and uh, they're a blessing to me. Well, my, my thoughts of Mary and Martha certainly connect with my own family experience. And I know my one sister would dominate about 90% of the family conversation. And so the, the rest of us would carve out the other 10% and then left Jen with not much time to talk. And uh, so Martha, Mary is younger, she's apparently quieter, but I will tell you this, her greatest distinction is her closeness to the Savior. She was close to the Savior. In fact, hold your place here. Just go to John chapter 12 for a minute. I want to establish this. John chapter 12. And look at the first eight verses of that chapter. This is where Jesus has now raised Lazarus from the dead, his greatest miracle at that time. Then six days, uh, Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Sometimes we read these verses, and it's just so easy to, yeah, 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 I know, you know. Think about what you just read. He came to Lazarus, where Lazarus was. Oh, yeah, the guy who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. What? What if you'd gone to that funeral? And then four days later, you find out he's back at his house. That's what's going on in town here. Okay, look at verse 2. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. Okay, notice, Martha, that's her thing. Her gift is serving. She does it well. Martha served, but... 
Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Okay, let's put a hold on that for a minute. Pence, that's the denarius. That's a day's wage for the typical sailor, soldier, plowman, you know, the typical person earned a day's wage of a denarius. So 300 pence, that'd be 300 days wages. That's almost a year's salary. One of the ways we deduce that this was a well-to-do family. She had spent 300 days wages on this ointment. And once you open the box, it was all or nothing. And she's taking this ointment, she's putting it on Jesus' feet. Well, then look at verse um, 6. This said he not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and he had the bag, and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my bearing, in, a, in anticipation of the day of my bearing, has she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. So Mary comes in. She begins to uh, anoint Jesus' feet and then wipe her, his feet with her hair. Now, obviously, she had long hair. I mean, you wouldn't, wouldn't be able to do that with her. Short haircut, right? So she's got this long hair. She's wiping his feet. And you might think, oh, you know how that's so amazing, anointing, wiping Jesus' feet. Yeah, but he still walked on dirty roads just like everybody else. So this really is an act of humility. What is she doing? Well, Jesus recognized what she do- she's doing. She's anointing him in anticipation of his burial. You know what's amazing? I checked in the book of Matthew, five times Jesus alluded to directly his crucifixion. Five times he told him he's going to be crucified. And yet they were all shocked when Jesus died by crucifixion. He told them. But you know who wasn't shocked? Mary of Bethany. She was tuned in. And typically, if a person were crucified, how were the bodies disposed? Gehenna, the city dump. They just take the bodies and discard them. But there was no, if it weren't for Joseph of Arimathea, Jesus wouldn't have had a, a proper burial. And so Mary's thinking, if he's going to be crucified, nobody's going to be honoring him. I went to a funeral one time. My grandmother, um, she was expressing her opinions that day. And we're looking around. They had all kinds of flowers. And it was a person who was well-known. The flowers were all across the front, halfway down the auditorium. And my grandma looked around and said, huh. Look at all those flowers. I was surprised that she was a little put off by the flowers. And I, um, we called her MAGA. That, but there was before a MAGA movement, okay? So I would make America great again. My grandmother's MAGA, M-A-G-A. I said, MAGA, what are, you, what are you talking about? And she said, look at all, you know how much money they spent on these flowers? I said, well, the person was well known. She said, honey, if you want to honor me with flowers, send them to me while I'm alive, not after I'm dead. That's what Mary's doing. She's, some of these girls are nodding, guys. You might take note of that, all right? She comes. She's anointing his feet with oil. Why? Because he's going to die. And if he dies by crucifixion, he's not going to get a proper burial. Here's what I want you to take away with. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. When you develop a quiet heart before God, you'll pick up things the average person misses. You remember Psalm 46.10, of course, be still and know that I am God. Learn to quiet your heart before God. You'll you'll find Mary constantly at Jesus' feet. Here she's kneeling at his feet. We're going to go back to our text. You'll find her kneeling at his feet. I wonder, do people find you at Jesus' feet? Mary's conscientious choice. Those are her distinctions, but then I want you to see Mary's decision. Let's go back to our passage, Luke 10. 
Verse 39 again. She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Sitting is the posture of a disciple. The idea is seated at Jesus' feet was you're there to learn. You're there to listen. It's like after the demoniac of Gadara was healed by Jesus, set free. He was no longer running around like a frothing madman. All of a sudden, he was, he was uh, sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Where was he sitting? At Jesus' feet. The disciples sat at Jesus' feet. He said, you know, you sit at the feet of the Pharisees. That was a posture of learning. She sat at his feet. But this is also interesting. She heard his word. Some of you know there are a couple different words for word in the New Testament from from, um, the Greek uh, New Testament. And one is logos. That's the word used here. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. That's the word logos. We get our word logo from that. We get our word logic from that. Um, I know I've used this illustration here before, but when my kids were little, they would know all the fast food restaurants before they could read, like, oh, McDonald's, because they see the golden arches. Freckle-faced little girl, that's Wendy's. You know, Tower with the Bell, that's Taco Bell. All the fine establishments, okay? They knew them by the logo. And we go out west, big, nice, yellow check mark, In-N-Out Burger, okay? They knew. They knew when they were little kids, because they could read the logo, the most recognizable logo in the world may be a simple little swoosh. What company is that? Nike, yeah. People just know logos. Okay, the word logos is the expression of thought through word. Right now, I am thinking a lot of things. And what I'm doing is I'm picking the right words to express my thoughts to you. So Jesus is the word made flesh. He is the very expression of God, for he is God. Okay, the other word used is rhema, R-H-E-M-A, and that's like in Ephesians 6, uh, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God, rhema. And that has to do with the utterance of words. Like right now, out of my mouth, if I, if I put my hand in front of my mouth, I can feel wind coming across my uh, trachea because I'm forming words. So rhema is the utterance of words. Lagos has to do with the thought connected with those words. So when Mary sat at his feet, she wasn't like some people. Have you ever watched people that are, they're being polite, but they're not really engaged? Uh-huh, 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 you know, and then you say, and then my uncle had a heart attack and he died. Oh, that's great, yeah. You know, they are not really listening. <laughs> Mary was not just sitting there doing like we do sometimes in devotions. <laughs> Holy, holy, holy. I read my Bible today. Check mark. She was sitting at his feet hearing his word. She's getting it. She's, uh, my favorite way to express it is meditating on it. Cow chewing the cud. If you've heard me preach before, you've heard that out of my mouth. Cow chewing the cud. She's, she's, she's um, cogitating. She's thinking it through. She's mulling it over. She's tuned in. Okay, so that's Mary's conscientious choice. By the way, no one sits at Jesus' feet and hears his word by accident. Like, wow, I got up to today and had devotions. I don't know how that happened. That was great. Wow. <laughs> Never happens by accident. Mary's conscientious choice. Number two is Martha's cumbersome care. Martha's cumbersome care. Go back now for a minute to verse 38. He came past as they went. He entered to a certain village. A certain woman named Martha received him into her house. They didn't have ring doorbells back then, Okay. They can't look and see who's on the porch. She comes to the door. <gasps> Jesus and all the disciples, so good to see you. Have you ever had company come and you weren't really ready? Wow. 
12 disciples. Come on in, fellas. And so she brings them in, and well, let's see. Um, let's get some water, and let's see. Andrew, Peter, would you help me? Okay, get water from. Listen, I didn't have anything ready yet. Let me go get some bread in the oven. So she goes over, and you know, they have these ovens, brick ovens, and she puts some bread in there. Okay, that's going. Oh boy, we need to organize things around here. Looks like Mary left things a mess. I'll be right with you. And uh, oh, 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 what's the, Nathaniel's out of water? Hey, uh, Thomas, could you help me? You doubt it. Okay, uh, how about Bartholomew? Would you help me? Okay. And so, oh no, the bread is here and it's burning, you know. Can, you know what it's like when there are a million things going on? She's a hostess, okay? She's a server. And now the stress meter is at 10. But guess what? In all of her running around, out of the corner of her eyes, she looks. And what is her sister doing? In her opinion, her sister's doing nothing. How does that go between siblings? Mom! Well, there's no mom to talk to, so who does she speak to? Lord, don't you care? My sister hath left me to serve alone. Bid her, therefore, that she help me. It's in verse 40, in case you're wondering where I got that. (laughs) Would you tell her to do something? Okay, I want you to see this, Martha's distraction. We're talking about Martha's cumbersome care. The word cumbered here, cumbered about with much serving, is the word to be drawn about in the mind. The term perispotomai, we get our word periscope from peri. It means to go around. If you put a periscope up in a submarine and you can look around all directions. Okay, the idea is she's just looking, oh, so much. She's just overwhelmed by so many projects and tasks. Martha's the kind of person, if she doesn't have all the check marks on her to-do list, she is stressed. And the check marks are just flying everywhere, and she's the only one doing anything. Cumbersome care, her distraction. Socrates, the Greek philosopher, said, beware of the barrenness of a busy life. Boy, that's true. Beware of the barrenness of a busy life. I have lived in Kansas City, Missouri for the last uh, 29 years. I uh, we'll, uh, we'll start our 30th year in evangelism in June. I can't believe it. It's been that long. But I grew up in New Jersey, and, and some of you have heard that story. I grew up not far from Philadelphia, across the river from Philly. And I will tell you, if you've ever traveled up Interstate 95, from about Richmond, Virginia, all the way up to Connecticut, is just like one massive city, just city after city after. I, I hate Interstate 95. And I grew up along there, right? And so, you know, I, I like going to Wawa, okay? I like tasty cakes. I love, if, you know, hey, you want a hoagie? I like this stuff, okay? How about a cheesesteak? I had one yesterday. Yeah, I love that stuff. But I will tell you, where I grew up, busy, busy, busy. How many of you live in the Northeast? Anybody live Northeast? Okay. It is a busy place. And sometimes people are just so busy. You know, people live on their phones and their horns in the Northeast, okay? (laughs) Why? Everyone's like, out of my way, I have places to be. So does the other guy. You know, they all think that way. Sometimes we are so busy in life that all we see people as are obstacles to our progress. And Martha is, Martha's a good lady. This is not like Martha's like, my favorite soap opera's coming on. They didn't have TV, okay? She's not doing some, I've got bonbons to eat here, I'm sorry. She's, this is not her obsession. What is she focused on? She's serving, and I would ask you, whom is she serving? Jesus, what's wrong with that? Nothing. The problem is she missed the main thing here. So there's Martha's distraction, but then I want you to see Martha's despair. Lord, dost thou not care? 
Now, I wonder how many of us would ever say that to Jesus. Don't you care? I doubt you would ever verbalize that to the Lord, but I wonder how many times you've thought that. And you know, he knows that, doesn't he? He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. By the way, why be pretentious with God? He knows your thoughts. You might as well just be transparent. And Martha figured that out. Don't you care? I wonder as soon as she said it, if she thought, what am I saying? And then he says, Martha, Martha, says her name twice. I don't know about you, but whenever my parents used my middle name, I knew something was up. Richard or Ronald? Okay, that's my middle name. I'm a Richard Ronald Tozer Jr. If I got the whole, all of it, title, suffix, everything, boy, I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> Martha, Martha. I wrote a corollary to uh, Socrates' statement, beware of barrenness when you're busy. Beware of barrenness when you're busy. Boy, this is very appropriate for Christian college, for a Bible college. You you can get so busy with projects that you lose the very Lord you're here to prepare to serve in the midst of preparation for the Lord. Beware of barrenness, uh, barrenness of a busy life, and then beware of uh, bitterness when you're busy. Well, nobody else is working as hard as I am. That brings us finally to number three, Jesus' candid commendation. Jesus' candid commendation. This is in verses 41 and 42. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing's needful, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. All right, there's candid reproof for Martha. Candid reproof for Martha. Martha, Martha, look at me. Yes, you, girl, are careful and troubled about lots of things. Okay, did Jesus say, Martha, thou art careful? You you all know, even in King James' time, they didn't speak thee and thou. You know that is a literary help to us, okay? If you read the preface to the King in uh, the King James Bible, it says, unto you, O King, be it known to your majesty. How many kings were there? It's only one. Conversational English was just you, your. But literary English was thee or thou to differentiate singular, or you or you for plural. And, you know, I've said this before, but uh, thee or thou, that's one person. You or ye, ye, that would be like in the South, you say y'all. Where I grew up, they say yous. Uh, Some of you say yins, okay? So that would be the plural. He's not just saying, looks like somebody around here has a problem. No, he looks at her and says, Martha, you have a problem. How often do we let the Lord get that particular with us? It's really important. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I really think that that scripture, Psalm 139, 23, and 24, I really believe that is the key to personal revival. Let God scrutinize. Let God turn on the searchlight. Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing's needful. Now, by the way, what was she doing? She's serving the Lord. She's worrying about the bread and making sure everybody has water, none of which is bad. The problem is she's so busy serving, she doesn't have time to spend with Jesus. So for her, he has candid reproof, but then he has a commendation report for Mary. There's a candid reproof for Martha. There's a commendation report for Mary. He says to her in verse 42, but one thing is needful. That's where I got the title from because this is not my opinion. This is what your Savior said. One thing's needful, and Mary chose it. What was it? We'll go back to verse 39. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and doing what? Hearing his word. 
What is the one needful thing according to the context? Sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his word. So let me give you these two principles to conclude. Two key principles. Number one is keep your focus. Keep your focus. James 1.8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What is your focus? Well, man, I'll tell you, I have music classes, I have Greek classes, I have... What's the big picture? To serve the Lord. That was Martha's big picture. And what did the Lord say? Ooh, careful. In fact, I, I never preach in a Bible college without taking everybody to, math, uh, to Mark 3.14. You might jot this down. Mark 3.14 says, He ordained 12 that, he, he might, that they might be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. And I always ask the, the ministerial class, the preacher boys, Hey, guys, why did the Lord ordain the 12? And everybody always says, So he could send them out to preach. That's the obvious thing. But notice it's just twofold. He says, he ordained 12, Mark 3, 14, that they might be with him, and then he might send them forth to preach. If you're called to preach, there's got to be a premium on your personal devotional life, your time spent with God. If I don't abide in Christ, I have no business speaking for Christ. Each day I work my way through a prayer list, and I'm using the list so I'm mindful to pray for people. I told you I pray for Brother Beal every couple of days. I group them up in groups A, B, C. I used to do days of the week, but then I figured out, hey, if I get so busy, I miss a group, they don't get prayed for till the next week. So I just kind of go A, B, C, and if I miss a day, that way I just kind of roll that group into the next day. And I've got a lot of pastor friends, and you know, what do you, what do, you do when you pray for somebody? Paul did talk about, I make mention of you in my prayers. It's okay to mention. The Holy Spirit does make intercession for us. But obviously, we want to pray as specifically as possible. I'll tell you one, one matter, I pray for all my pastor friends and my evangelist friends and missionaries I know, Lord, help them to have meaningful quiet time. Help them to really abide in you, not just like I did my devotions. I pray for my girls every day, and one of the things I pray for my three girls and my wife, Lord, help them to have a a devotional time where they not only read the Bible every day, my girls do, they're really good about it, but that they glean from it, that it's, they love it, that they love you. They love you. That is the bottom line. So keep your focus. Number two principle, the most needful thing is to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his word. The most needful thing is to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his word. Many of you know Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Okay, what's the key to success? Meditate in and mind the word of God. Okay, meditate, I mentioned, is to chew the cud. So when a cow is eating grass, drinking water, you know, they get to be large animals over 1,000 pounds. How do they get that way? They have four, stomach, uh, four compartments in their stomach. It's elaborate digest, ju- digestive system that God's made. So they'll, they'll take in the timothy or the alfalfa, whatever grass, and, you know, they're mooing and chewing. But that food is nourishing them. You don't get nourished from the Bible by just speed reading it. I've been doing a thing lately. I'll use my Bible app, and I'll put it on um, uh, audio while I'm reading. And by the way, the guy I'm using, is not Alexander Scorbitt. I forget the guy on the Bible program. But he's a little slow, so I put him on one and a half when I'm listening to him. Now, I can read a lot faster than that if I'm just reading, but I'll put him on one and a half time, and then I'm reading along with it because I'm, I'm seeing it. I'm hearing it. I'm looking with my eyes as I'm going along. I'm taking notes. Any way I can get my mind engaged to meditate on the Word of God. So it's not just going through the motions of devotions. 
You, you want to delve into the depths of the word and really get to know the heart of God as you're reading the word of God. I, was, I like it when a preacher will be vulnerable and you know, transparent. I, I've, I, I connect well when I know the messenger, I feel like. Okay, but what's important is the message being conveyed. I wonder, do you know Jesus Christ? Oh, yeah, he's my Savior. No, I don't mean do you just know him as Savior. Do you know him? It's interesting, in, the, in 1 John, I've decided this year I'm going to spend my time in the, in the epistles of John and then later Revelation. And instead of reading through my Bible in a year, I normally do that. But I'm, I'm in 1 John right now. And, and he says, you know, young men, I write to you because you're strong. And you know what he says to the fathers? I, I write to you because you know him. As you become advanced in the, your walk with God, it ought to be the, the paramount principle of your life. The paramount characteristic of your life is that you know him. That there's a depth of knowing Christ. And that doesn't happen in the academic setting of Bible class. It happens with daily gleanings from his word. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Okay, Joshua 1.8 says, the man who meditates in the word will be a success. Psalm 1 says he'll prosper. 1 Timothy 5, uh, 4.15 rather, 4.15 says, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. Okay, success, prosperity, profiting, all tied into meditating on the word of God. I know the man meant well. But I believed he was not right when I heard this. I was traveling cross-country, tuned into a typical Christian radio station. They had a preacher on, nationally recognized. I thought, okay, this, I, a lot of times I'll glean some good insights from some of these guys. So I'm listening. And he said something that grabbed my attention. I thought, oh, I bet a lot of people in the pew think this way too. He said, I grew up in a youth group where, you know, it was bring your Bible and, you know, you get points if you have your Bible. You get points if you have devotion. And he said it was a lot of... Um, Frankly, it was a lot of legalism. You just do, 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 and that's what makes you spiritual. And he said, I got so frustrated. I was trying to have my devotions. And he said, you know, I finally was freed from all that when I realized, look, this is a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I just need to focus on the relationship. Now, that sounds good. In fact, I often say, and I really do mean this, Christianity at its core, Christianity is not religion. It's a relationship with Christ. That is the truth. I was not sitting, I'm not the kind who sits in harsh judgment on somebody else. You know, with what judgment you judge, you'll also be judged. So I'm not the kind trying to critique everybody else and rip them to shreds. But as I listened to the man, I thought, okay, what? something about that doesn't sit right with me. Why? And then it dawned on me, okay, I know I'm not spiritual because at the end of the day, I check off a box. And I have a list of things I check off. I literally do. Did I read my Bible today? Did I pray? Did I at least give out a tract or try to witness to somebody? And you know, a number of things I do. But that's not what makes me spiritual. I do that to keep in the consistency of those things. But I've been married for 29 years. I love my wife, Angela, more than I ever have. I will tell you that. We talked last night, and I told her, honey, I am so grateful for you. Um, there, we live in a trailer, 43 feet. Okay, our kids live 35 feet down the hall from us, all right? Uh, we're, we're in close quarters all the time. I'm there. Typically, I do my study in the trailer. I'm there all the time. But there are many days when at the end of the night, Angela and I will prop up against the headboard, and now we will actually communicate. 
We will make time to talk, even though we've been together all day. You know why? During the day, I'm on my stuff. Kids are homeschooling. She's doing her thing. We haven't really talked, so we will make time. Well, we've been married 29 years. You figure you could know what each other's thinking. You really don't unless you talk. And we make time for it. You've got to make time for meaningful relationships. And there's no more meaningful relationship than your relationship with God. I want to challenge you to not just start the year off with a list of goals, resolutions, no, but with priorities. And there's no more important priority than daily time with God. Well, I go to Bible class, that's good. I'm memorizing verses, that's good. But we're talking about developing fellowship. And I hope it won't just be because you're a student in a Bible college. I hope you'll make it a daily priority. Oswald Chambers said this, the main thing about Christianity is not the work we do, but the relationship we maintain. And the atmosphere produced by that relationship, that's the one thing that God asks us to look after, and it is the one thing being continually assailed, means constantly attacked. That's in uh, my utmost for his highest. It's either August 4th or 5th. I forgot which date it was. But if you have my utmost for his highest, look in the August entries, 4th or 5th. By the way, the main thing about Christianity, not the work we do, the relationship we maintain. Remember, nothing that does not occur daily will ever dominate your life. For some of us, social media dominates our lives. Maybe during Christmas break, some video game dominated your life. Maybe a guy-girl relationship dominated your life. And it may have been a very wholesome thing. But I want to know, where does Jesus Christ rank in all that? One thing is needful. 